Right, open your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 2, Ezekiel chapter 2, and tonight in Ezekiel uh, chapter 2, uh, Ezekiel's going to receive his call and his commission. He's called to a prophetic ministry and his mission. Ezekiel was now going to receive his official assignment as a prophet of the living God, and the Lord told him that he was going to be facing a very, a very difficult job. If the Lord came and, and spoke to you and said, hey, I, I want to call you into a particular ministry, and uh, you'd probably be excited. But he said, but I got to tell you something. It's going to be very difficult. Would you backpedal? Well, Lord, I don't know, you know, because we don't like difficulty. We don't want to deal with it if we can get out of it. But in ministry, it's a part of it. And, and that's where we need to trust in the Lord and know that he will equip us and prepare us for every good work. Whether it's raising a family, whether it's teaching a Sunday school class, shepherding a church, or evangelizing you know, in, in a foreign country, you know, missionary work. We have to accept people as they are before we can lead them to what God wants them to be. They have to know we care before they care about what we want to tell them or share with them. In chapter two, uh, chapters 2 through 3, verse 15, it, it covers Ezekiel's call to be a prophet. And like the burning bush that, that got Moses' attention... The awesome vision of God that we looked at in chapter 1 last Wednesday got Ezekiel's full attention. God, the all-powerful Lord of creation, was in Babylon just like he was in Israel. And he came to give a specific message to Ezekiel, letting Ezekiel know that he was being called to a prophetic ministry. And this section has an introduction. It's in chapters 1 and 2. It has a conclusion chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Described in this section now is Ezekiel's mission, his motivation and the divine strength for the hard job that he has ahead of him. God called Ezekiel the priest to be a prophet and to take on a very hard and unpopular duty as the mediator to the people in exile. And verses 1 through 7 covers Ezekiel's mission. His call starts with an explanation of the job that God was going to give him. And after establishing a relationship with Ezekiel, in, chapter, in, in verses 1 and 2 here, God explains the nature and the difficulties of his assignment in verses 3 through 7. God gave Ezekiel four important commandments to obey. In verses 1 and 2, he tells them, stand up and listen to what I have to tell you. So let's look at verses 1 and 2 of Ezekiel chapter 2. It says, so when I fell on my face and heard a voice of one speaking, he said to me, son of man, stand on your feet and I will speak to you. And then the spirit entered me when he spoke to me and set me on my feet and I heard him who spoke to me. He says, I want to speak to you, Ezekiel. Stand up and listen to what I have to say. Notice that God addressed Ezekiel there in, in, in chapter 2, uh, verse 1, and said, 
He said, he, he called him son of man. Son of man. 93 times in Ezekiel's book, it's a title that the Lord also gave to Daniel. So Ezekiel is called son of man 93 times in Ezekiel, and it's a title that the Lord also gave to Daniel. Son of man is also a messianic title, which the Lord Jesus applies to himself at least 82 times when he was ministering on earth. But in the case of Daniel and Ezekiel, the title son of man emphasized their humanity and their mortality. The title emphasizes the distance between God and Ezekiel. The title simply means you're a man, I'm God. I'm up here and you're down there. And when you think about it, you know, it's really surprising that God chooses to work his divine will on earth through limited, fragile, and earthly defective people. We're made from the dust of the earth. And yet God chooses to put inside of us his life, his breath, and to serve him. So God would renew his favor toward his people using Ezekiel. Plus, a reminder of his dependence upon God. And maybe that's why God used the title Son of Man to remind Ezekiel of his responsibility as God's messenger of redemption. And when Ezekiel saw the awesome vision of God's glory in chapter 1, remember at the end there, he's responded by falling on his face in an act of worship and fearful reverence. Chapter 1, verse 28. Ezekiel was face down in the dust when God spoke to him, reminding Ezekiel and us of man's humble beginning in the dust. Psalm 103, 114, the psalmist said, For he knows, God knows our frame, and he remembers that we are dust. Now, God remembers that we are dust, but sometimes we forget, and we think we're more than dust. We're better than dust. There's a time to fall down in humble reverence and there's a time to stand up and take orders. The command of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit enables Ezekiel to stand to his feet and it says the spirit entered him and the spirit strengthened him. On many occasions, the Holy Spirit would lift Ezekiel up and give him special power for his tasks. The important thing was that Ezekiel stand obediently before the Lord and listen to the word. So this is the first of the four things that God commanded Ezekiel to do. So here in verse 1, God commands him to get up so that he could receive the message of his call and commission. Showing God accepted Ezekiel and his intention of calling him into service. So the Holy Spirit entered Ezekiel. And it's the Holy Spirit that enabled him to obey God's command as the indwelling of the Holy Spirit does today. The presence of the Holy Spirit is also enabled and empowered Ezekiel to speak with authority, confidence, and courage. The Holy Spirit makes an obvious difference. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. We desperately need the Holy Spirit. He is necessary. He is not an option. He's not a luxury. We need him. Remember when Peter had denied Jesus three times? It was because he was afraid. Peter lacked boldness for the Lord. But remember what happened to him? After the day of Pentecost? After they were all filled with the Holy Spirit? 
All the people around them were amazed to hear Peter and the others speaking in other tongues. And the people began mocking them and accusing them of all being drunk. And then Acts 2.14 says, And then Peter, standing up, raised his voice. St. Peter that denied Jesus because he was afraid and lacked courage. And Peter began to tell the people about Jesus. Listen to what he said in Acts 2, verse 36 through 39. When he was finished raising his voice, he said, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus. Notice, he denied him not long before that. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Notice the difference in Peter before he was baptized in the Holy Spirit and afterwards. And it says 3,000 people got saved with Peter's sermon. That was the boldness that Peter received because of the Holy Spirit. That's why we need him. We need that boldness. We need that courage. We need that power. Verses 3 and 5. Here we have the second command that God gives Ezekiel. To go give the message. Verses 3 through 5. And he said to me, Son of man, I'm sending you to the children of Israel, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have transgressed against me to this very day, for they are impudent and stubborn children. I am sending you to them, and you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord God. As for them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are a rebellious house, and yet they will know that a prophet has been among them. Ezekiel was sent to the Israelites, including those captives in Babylon and those who stayed in the homeland. But he was also commissioned to tell the rebellious nations as well. The word nation here speaks of non-Jews or Gentiles. While Ezekiel's message was addressed specifically to Israel, what it says, though, as I said, it was specifically addressed to Israel. But what it says is also applicable to the whole world today. God also described to Ezekiel the kind of people that he was being sent to. Four words were used to describe what they were like. The first word that God used was rebellious. Ezekiel, I'm sending you to some rebellious people. The emphasis is on Israel's unfaithfulness to, to Jehovah, their God. And Israel's history, man, it was full of examples of their rebellion against God from the very beginning. Starting with the worship of the golden calf to the beginning of Baal worship, there was a constant going back to idolatry. And this behavior by the Israelites got even worse after the kingdom was divided. In spite of Israel's past history as a rebellious people, Ezekiel was not to let his personal feelings of the people, I mean, I'm sorry, he wasn't to let his, his uh, personal feelings of the hope of seeing a response from the people become the way he measured his success or failure of being a prophet. In other words, you know, a lot of times we base our success on what we see. 
You know, we think, well, you know, there's not a lot of people here, so I guess, you know, I'm, I'm not doing a good job or I'm a failure, I'm doing something wrong. And he's telling, he's telling Peter, don't base your success on what you see. All right, don't measure it by what you see or what you feel. Because these are a rebellious people. He doesn't want his feelings to be involved in what he's going to do or to see himself as a failure or success as a prophet. The second word God uses to describe what the people were like, he says, they've transgressed. Peter, they're rebellious and they have transgressed. It means, transgress means to go beyond the bounds not allowed by the law of God or to betray a trust. So the word described an act of disobedience to God's will. And the people rebellious were rebellious because they had transgressed. They revolted against God's commands. The third word used here to describe the people that, that Ezekiel was being sent to was impudent or obstinate. This means they had a stubborn, selfish will that totally ignored the commands of God's word. And this stubbornness was revealed even more by the fact that even though Ezekiel brought a message from God, people didn't care. It didn't make any difference to the people. It didn't change the way they behaved. It didn't change the way they lived. And the last word used to, uh, uh, to describe the kind of people Ezekiel was being sent to was he was going to be dealing with some stubborn people. Now, the word, the word stubborn emphasized the last word, impudent, which means they were firm of heart, and they were, they were stubborn in heart. They were not going to move. So the people Ezekiel was being sent to were motivated by unbending, stubborn self-will that rejected God's will like it was no big deal to them. And to them, it was neither here nor there, whatever. It was nothing to them. So with a message like this on its way to that kind of people, God warned Ezekiel, hey, hey they're going to reject you, man. They're, gonna, they're just to your face. They're going to tell you. They're just going to reject you. They don't care. So what God is doing, he said, Ezekiel, be ready for it. This is what you're going to have to deal with. And his success would not be dependent on the number of people he saw obey the message or respond to his message. It wasn't about the number. It wasn't about, you know, uh, uh, fewer or, or many. Even though he was told that nobody would welcome his message from God, here's the thing. Ezekiel was still responsible for giving the message to them. Once he did... The messages placed the burden now of response on the people. You see, God won't judge us for how well others respond to our witness. Now, you know, many times, you know, we think, well, I don't know how to witness and, and I, I really don't know what to tell them and, and, or how to. And, and, but, but God just said, hey, tell them about me. Jesus saved me. If that's it, that's it. The thing is, is obeying what God has asked us to do. Once you've done that, your responsibility done. Now the, the responsibility lies on the people that receive the message. God will not judge us, like I said, for how well others respond to our witness or to our faith. What God's going to respond to is, hey, how faithful have we been to what God has called us to do? And God always gives us the strength to do what he asks us to do. 
God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 2, Moreover, it is required, notice, required, in stewards that one be found faithful. You notice he didn't add to that list. He didn't say that we're required to be brilliant, educated, uh, eloquent. No. Faithful. Faithful. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 8, I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Paul said, We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work that the Lord gave us. Paul says, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed to grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. Faithfulness, that's what God calls us to be. Verses 6 through 7, here's the third command that God asks um, uh, of Ezekiel. Don't be afraid. Look at verses 6 through 7. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them, nor be afraid of their words, though briars and thorns are with you, and you dwell among scorpions. Do not be afraid of their words or dismayed by their looks, though they are a rebellious house. You shall speak my words to them, whether they hear or whether they refuse, for they are rebellious. So right from the very start of his mission, Ezekiel is encouraged. Ezekiel, don't be afraid of the people. The people he'd been talking to are described here as those briars, thorns, and scorpions. You know, not to mention the other things, you know, uh, stubborn and, and, and all. I mean, you'd think after that, Lord, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. These are words that refer to their, to their stubborn rebellion and hard-hearted disobedience. Again, Ezekiel wouldn't be held accountable for the people not receiving God's message. He says, go whether they hear you or whether they refuse. He would be responsible for only speaking the words that God gave him to speak. Like he said in verse 5, they will know that a prophet has been among you. You see, the way you measure success in God's work isn't always uh, by how often you see people respond. Or come forward in an altar call. Or how many of people attend the church. Success is to be measured by our obedience to the word of God. And his commands. No matter what the visible results might be. Ezekiel's message was to speak the word of God. To a rebellious and unresponsive people. Again, no matter how the people responded to it. This call to faithfulness not only applies to Ezekiel, but all of us today, all of God's servants. He said to, to Ezekiel, you shall speak my words to them. The minister is to be the minister of God's word because that's what his ministry is all about. You know, when pastors are popular, you know, they get asked to speak everywhere or at conferences, you know, other churches, and they're often gone from their own congregation. But how can they spend much time in the word of God to feed their own congregation if they're out and about in other places all the time? Ezekiel was to preach God's word. He said, whether they hear or whether they refuse. It doesn't matter what the people want. 
Ezekiel. It doesn't matter what they like or want. Your message has to be consistent with God's word. And those who preach a popular message, they might have a bigger church. They might have a bigger crowd. But that doesn't mean it's a good message. It's not the size of the crowd that speaks of a good minister. It's the message. Those who Ezekiel were to speak God's message to were rebellious, God said. Ezekiel wasn't sent to a nice pastor with dedicated people sitting in the pews. He was sent to a people who were very rebellious towards God. But we are to go wherever God sends us, no matter what the character of the people. Now, naturally, it's really nice if the people are dedicated and cooperative, but that's not always the case. But again, that's not to determine our calling or our message. We are to preach what God tells you to preach and where he tells you to preach. In chapters 2, verse 8 through chapter 3, verse 3, covers Ezekiel's motivation. Here's the fourth thing that God commanded Ezekiel to do. Receive the word within. That is, take it, take it within. Take it in, Ezekiel. So how, how could a person get really motivated and enthusiastic for a ministry that others are guaranteed to reject? Because... Again, motivation comes from a deep sense of commitment based on a divine call of God. And if our motivation for serving God is recognition and praise and promotion or something like it or something else, it's the wrong motivation. And I guarantee you, you don't receive that praise, that, that, that uh, promotion or, or you know, the recognition you won't last long because that's what you're looking for. That's your reward. Like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.1, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. And then in Jeremiah 45.5, Jeremiah says, Are you seeking great things for yourselves? He said, Don't do it. Ezekiel was positive that God had given him his assignment. And he was also sure, uh, sure of the message that he was given. He was sure that it was God's word. Verses 8 through 10. But you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Now when I looked, there was a hand stretched out to me, and behold, a scroll of a book was in it. Then he spread it before me, and there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. So after Ezekiel was warned about Israel's stubbornness that he would experience, he was instructed to submit to the will of God as a sign of his obedience, that is, as a sign of he was submitting to to the obedience. He was to eat what God offered him. In his case, it was a scroll. Scrolls were made of papyrus or leather sheets, especially prepared for writing. They were sewed or glued together. They were written on, and then they were rolled up. This was the standard form for books before the beginning of the second century. Some rabbis interpreted eating the scroll as a part of the vision experience, while others interpreted it as a, again, as a symbol, as an allegory. The ideas of eating and drinking were sometimes used in a figurative way to symbolize the operation of the mind in receiving, understanding, and applying doctrine or instruction of any kind. God said Ezekiel was to to eat, that is, take in 
and digest the message and preach what it said. When it was unrolled, it says that Ezekiel noticed that there was something different about this scroll. There was writing on both sides. Ancient books were usually scrolls, one page up to 30 feet long, rolled up at the same time from both ends. And normally scrolls had writing only on one side. But in this case, the warnings spilled over to the other side of the scroll. Now, it may have been a way of showing the magnitude, how great the judgment of God was going to be that was about to fall upon Judah. It also may have been a way of suggesting to Ezekiel, there was no room for him to add to the scroll his own personal opinion. His message was from God and God alone. And because Ezekiel was a priest, he knew that the Hebrew Scriptures pictured God's words as food to be received within the heart and digested inwardly. Job said in Job chapter 23, verse 12, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Jesus said also very, very much the same thing. He said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, And drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. Now, Jesus was not talking about some kind of cannibalism. This is from John chapter 6. Jesus said, But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I am him. What Jesus is saying that he, which is the bread of life, is to be taken in. The bread of life, Jesus must be taken in, and his flesh had to become our own. Job valued God's word so much, he valued it more than eating. I mean, if we did that, you know, we're sure to make sure we get our meals every day. But man, if we made sure that we ate the word of God every day, we got the word of God into us every day, man, how spiritually healthy we would be. Like I said, Job valued God's word more than eating. And Moses, he, he had told the Jews, he, he admonished the Jews to live on God's word as well as on the bread, the manna that the Lord supplied for them every day. The prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 15, it says that Jeremiah ate the word of God. Revelation chapter 10, verses 8 through 10, said that John the apostle did too. He ate the word of God. God's prophets have to speak from within their hearts or their message will not be faithful and true. Paul said in Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ refers to the revelation that Jesus brought into the world, which is the word of God, the scriptures. Peace, thankfulness, unity, love, and all of the required good qualities that that we're to have, they pour out from the mind that's controlled by God's word. He said, let the word of God dwell in you richly. The word dwell means to live in. It means to be at home in. Paul tells the believers in Colossians 3, 16, he tells the believers, let the word of God take up residence, be at home in your lives. 
Let it dwell in you richly. The word richly could mean abundantly or extravagantly rich. The truth, of, the truth of God's word should spread through every part and area of the believer's life. And it should guide and control every thought, word, and action. The word of God dwells in us when we hear it. But in order for the word of God to dwell in you richly, the Christian has to read it, he has to study it, and they have to live it. But if the word of God is not in our hearts, we can't sing from our hearts. We can't make melody to the Lord. This shows us how important it is to know the word of God. Because it enriches our corporate worship and our private worship of God. A corporate worship is us together here. It enriches our worship together in God's house. And it, and it enriches our private worship when we have our private times in our prayer closet with the Lord. Three words were used to describe the character of what was written in the scroll. The scroll was filled with lamentations, mourning, and woe. A lamentation was a funeral song written in a specific arrangement in Hebrew poetry and sung during times of grief. Mourning referred to the words uh, and, and moans uttered by grieving family and by professional mourners that would be hired to mourn uh, the, the death of a loved one. And woe was an expression of distress at a great loss of any kind. But the meaning of the three words overlapped, stressing that Ezekiel's message would contain bad news. It would clearly bring great lamentation, mourning, and woe. But, but, but Ezekiel would also declare good news as well. But he didn't need to be warned about that. So in closing... The unpleasant part of a messenger's job, which he would love to avoid the most, is being the one who had to bring the bad news. But faithfulness demands that the whole message, good and bad, the message of God is to be delivered. Even though Ezekiel tasted bitterness later on, like John in Revelation, it's a great honor, man. It's a great honor to be a spokesperson for the Lord. But we have to be able to handle both the bitter and the sweet, the good with the bad. If Ezekiel had heard the description of the hardness of his people before he saw the vision of God's glory, he might have said, hey, no way. He might have had a really tough time accepting his call. But what he saw in chapter 1, the glory and the power of the Lord, hey, it enabled him here in chapter 2 to accept the call and the mission that God had given him. In Moses' difficult ministry to the Israelites, he was encouraged by his meeting with God on the top of Mount Sinai and seeing the display of his glory. The prophet Isaiah saw the glory of Christ in the temple before he started his ministry. The prophet Habakkuk was lifted from the valley of despair to the mountaintop of victory by meditating on the glory of God in the history of Israel. And before Stephen laid down his life for Jesus, he saw the glory of the Son of God in heaven. The only motivation that never fails is doing all for the glory of God. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Father, once again, we thank you for your wonderful word. 
Father, we thank you for the message behind it, Lord. And Father, help us, Lord, to, to, to see you. To see you, Father. To see you in all of your glory. Your power. To see what you, what you have for us, Lord. Who you are to us, God. Before we endeavor to take on anything else, Lord. Father, as, as, as Ezekiel saw you in chapter 1, he was encouraged, he was empowered, enabling him to take on, Father, the, the, the mission that you sent him to take on, Lord, and to, to give the word that you told him to give, God. So, Father, help us to follow the instructions that you gave Ezekiel, Lord, help us to follow and submit to them as well, God, for your glory and for our good. And it's in Jesus' wonderful name that we pray. Amen.